0: Hey everybody. Welcome to the Buddha and Brett podcast. Chris is a lawyer, pastor, and nonprofit executive, and Brett is a producer and business owner. In this episode, Chris and I continue our discussion about how anxiety manifests itself. We get into the grid of how it has affected our lives and we discuss some very practical strategies to overcome it. Above all, we hope this conversation helps you or your loved ones who may be dealing with these issues.
1: So you've had anxiety attacks in the past.
0: Yeah. For about 10 years, I had anxiety and it, and it has subsided in about the past nine months.
1: I've never, I don't think I've ever had a true anxiety attack. I've had anxiety. I'm going to talk about how I do, how I respond to it. Yeah. But how did your panic attack manifest itself? How would it impact your mind and your body physically?
0: Mm. My heart rate would go up and then it, it kind of hijacks your brain. So you feel like you're, you're going to die. And then naturally, especially if you've never had a panic attack before, and this is your first one, it can feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm having a heart attack. Mm. And it's especially difficult because you don't know what to do. And then after it happens, your body is completely worn out because of the adrenaline and cortisol, and you're just, you are just feel like a zombie afterward. And then after that, it, it feeds on itself because you think, I don't want that to happen again.
1: You have anxiety over having another anxiety attack. Exactly. Were there certain situations or was it more personal interrelational stuff where you would have the anxiety attack?
0: Yeah. I found that, um, in the job that I was doing at the time, didn't necessarily line up with my gifting or like my personality type. I can tend to be a bit of an introvert at times and it was a very extroverted job And I found that my body and my mind were like kind of rebelling against the things that I was having to do on a daily basis. So yeah, that kind of contributed to, definitely contributed to the anxiety.
1: Completing the circle you set up until about nine months ago? Yeah. What, how do you, what what did you do? Again, I know there's different ways, medication, counseling, things like that, Mm -hmm. but are, are there any takeaways that helped you handle those and what served you best if anyone's listening saying, I deal with that stuff too?
0: What served me best was completely eliminating alcohol from my system. Okay. Um, I had been a casual drinker in my 20s, um, not realizing that it was actually deeply impacting my anxiety and deeply impacting my depression, and that got exacerbated in my 30s. I'm 35 now, and I'm completely sober, don't drink at all, and my anxiety is way better, and depression is way better. Uh, almost to the point where I don't have any at all.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. And again, that's why I asked for you specifically, because I, I don't know that anyone can speak with a broad brush and say this solves everything, because there's some people medication for some re- people counseling or other people, a combination thereof, uh, and, you know meditation, things like that. But it is amazing what s- using substances can do to your mind and your body too. I'll just leave it at that, whether it be drugs or alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, So much of the stuff we've talked about off- uh air, Brett, even about just thinking better, thinking more clearly, learning better, retaining more knowledge. Mm -hmm. Uh, You and I talked about Jim Quick's book, Limitless. Maybe we'll come back and talk about that sometime on another show. But Mm -hmm. he talks a lot about this idea of how we increase our capacity to think, to read faster, to maintain more focus, concentration. And a lot of the stuff, before I picked up the book, I'm like, we'll see, because I I read a lot of stuff. And some stuff I read, I was like, well, I won't read that or refer to that again, because I understand there's not there's some stuff that's not that great. I read his book, the early part of it, talked a lot about diet, exercise, and sleep. And I thought, well, yeah, I know that. Then you read it, it's like, no, that's serious. Mm. It's amazing how if we care for our body and our mind and our health, it it takes care of us. Mm -hmm. And so just, I'm encouraged. How many days before you had your last drink?
0: Uh, It's been about 246 as of today.
1: Someone told me, I've got a relative who's in recovery for uh, 25, 30 years, and he was... He was in way bad back in the day. So I'm just proud of him for his sobriety. Mm. Uh, but he told me once that, you know someone's drinking or not, I say ask them how long they've been cleaning. Cause if they say, uh, oh, about three months, about three weeks, uh, uh, it's, it was sometime last year. He's like, no. <laughs> he goes, anyone who's really doing this and working it, will tell you to the day. Yeah, <laughs> he, <laughs> that's true. I also suffer from something that I think is anxiety driven, which is irritable bowel syndrome, IBS whether it's diagnosed or that. To me, that was always worse than the gagging because the gagging, nothing would actually come up except that I'd spit and my eyes would turn red and eventually subside. I was working with kids for years at the camps. We had high adventure camps. I think every camp I went to with the kids had a high ropes course. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about anywhere from 30 to 70 feet up in the air. Mm-hmm. I hate heights. And let me tell you something, my IBS would start kicking in about the night before once I knew we were scheduled to go. I'm like, son of a gun. And I got to a point where I wouldn't do it. Yeah. you know, We always were taught do with the kids so that it encourages them to do it as well. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I can't do this. Yeah. I said, I hate heights that much. And if it's going to put me out of commission for 24 hours because my lower intestines are going to act like a squeegee and squeeze everything freaking <laughs> out of my colon that I've ever had. Well, we're at a camp in North Carolina and I'm trying to avoid doing the ropes course again. And one of the kids working the course who was there for the summer said, okay, I need the leaders over here. You guys, we're going to put you up first. We're harnessing you in because there's places you were belayed instead of to the ground. You were tied into a guide wire above you. Mm-hmm. As I said, there's some places when your kids come through, there's a station up in a tree where you've got to, they've got two lobster claws. You've got to remove one at a time and put it on the next element. Right. And you're like, not only am I going up there, I've got to stay up there for an hour and a half, two the hours. Whole hour a half. time. I'm like, frig, no. I'm like, there's no way in heck I can do. But again, uh-huh. I'm like, all right, positive thinking, praying, I can do this. So I go up, I'm up there half hour and I start getting the sweats and people, if IBS, it's you got to go, you got to go. And I'm like, I'm not going to, ma- I'm in the freaking 60 feet up in the air. And I'm like, I got to go. I got to go. And I'm sweating and my stomach is cramping. I'm freaking so, and Dr. Tom Beerus, he was not a doctor then. He was, I think, a junior in high school. I just talked to Tommy uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's coming through and he was, he's a fine young man. And uh, I said, Tom, I said, you got to do this for me. I said, I got to get out of here. And I'm yelling the kids the him. I said, you got to bl- bl- blame me down. They're like, well, just, okay, we'll-, we'll get to you. I said, no, no, you got to blame. I got to go. I got to get down now <laughs> And it's just this horrible feeling. It's like, and, and it hurts too. I said, I'm cramped up. Well, they're like, okay, we got to hook you. It's like, how do I get down? They're like, just jump off. I'm like, you got to, this is like, lower me down. It's like, it just fetches you. okay. Yeah, we'll catch this jump. Well, if anyone's done the ropes course, I jump and they, they let me go about fifty feet before the thing catches, which is a lot faster.
0: Uh-huh. But when
1: you go that fast, that bottom, that when it finally stops, there's a lot of inertia, gra- gravity taking you downward, uh-huh. and it's like, oh no, not going to make it. <laughs>
0: it's like Tom Cruise in Mission I, Impossible. I One. got,
1: <laughs> I got about, I got about twenty feet into the woods and just dropped my pants. I mean, I was done. <laughs> I was, I was down and out for the next. 24 to 48 hours, we had kind of a reunion call with about 15, 20 people from that trip in 1996, I think it was, 95, 96. Mm. Uh, again, Tom Beers, who was a high school kid then in Philadelphia, he's a doc now, was on the call and he was laughing. He remembered it well. He goes, yeah, from my vantage point, I could see you in the woods with your pants around your ankles. <laughs> <laughs> I said, but that, all the trips that we've done, I remember that one least because it crippled me. Mm. Kind of, and that's what, again, what made me think of that as a panic attack and dealing with anxiety. Yeah. I, I was in bed and in the restroom for about 10, 12 hours. Then I was slept on and off for about the next 24 hours. Mm. I missed about 48 hours of Young Life camp with these mm. kids because of that issue. Yeah, uh, And it's hard because, again, I think I don't have panic attacks like you had, which sounded just so much worse. And you, you mentioned you dealt with some depression. Yeah, I've got loved ones who deal with some depression. Mm-hmm. I am not an expert in any of these things, but I'm empathetic towards how crippling and debilitating things can be just in my silly uh, examples, but they're real. they mm-hmm. manifest itself and it's they're debilitating when you start missing work from it and oh, yeah. you can't do your stuff. Uh, how did you begin to realize that there was an issue, Brett? I mean, you know, something's going mm-hmm. on. You said you felt like you're dying. I guess after two or three times you realized you weren't dying. Yeah, and then you kind of self-diagnose panic disorder, or panic attack.
0: Yeah, a lot of googling, um, which I'm sure a lot of you out there—good or bad. <laughs> any, any, yeah, googling can be some of the worst Web things MD. you can do. WebMD is. I'm dying terrifying. of cancer. Yeah, <laughs> panic I attack have, or dying of cancer—one of those two. <laughs> right. Suddenly, I'm—I uh, have two weeks to live, <laughs> uh, and that's—that's uh, that's kind of when I realized it. And I, and I started hearing other people's stories, and I was like, okay, this is a pretty common thing. I'm not going to die from it. And this is kind of like a public service announcement for people who do suffer from anxiety and or depression. If you're using alcohol, which a lot of people do, and myself included, to help give you some relief from the anxiety, um, it's actually, it will make it worse. And once I quit drinking, I stopped having anxiety and my depression went away. I'm not going to say it's a perfect pill for everybody but oh my gosh it was about the most perfect pill for me um just quitting that and then a a healthy amount of physical movement and working out that cured it like i i I hate to say the word cure because i feel like something like this that can minimize it especially for people who it doesn't cure that for um but it did for me
1: can i ask are you seeing a counselor as well
0: yeah yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Counselor, stop drinking. Seeing a counselor because again, mm-hmm. we want to encourage people if they're dealing with stuff to get help. Yeah, uh, whatever we say, I hope none of it sounds like just just self-medicate, self-help. Mm-hmm. So when I ask you questions, we're not claiming to be doctors, right? But since you've dealt with it, some of this is more anecdotal. Mm-hmm. When you said drinking exacerbated the issue, yeah. Have you read or taught your counselor? Is that is there some physical reason
0: for that, or is that just in your case? Mm-hmm. My counselor, my therapist said that that is a very, very common thing for people who quit drinking, is that they notice their anxiety and depression levels plummet. Um, and then on top of that, if you talk to people in AA, or if you talk to people who, who have struggled with dependency issues um, and have quit, a lot of them have the exact same story. You'll hear so many people talk about how when they quit, they come out of a fog of anxiety and depression. I hope that helps somebody out there who's who's getting a chance to listen to this. I'm telling you, if, if experiment with it, try it for 30 days. Just try 30 days, no no drinking, and and just see how it affects your well being. I think you'll be surprised.
1: Yeah, I I'm I drink very very little, if at all anymore. I'll have a beer with a family, or friend, or something. But uh, when I was a young man, I did some heavy drinking. And I said, I've got a relative who's an AA and NA right now. Uh, so back in the 70s and 80s, we partied heavy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and the reason I asked if there's, if you knew if there's a physical manifestation, I knew I drank to get away from it all.
0: Mm-hmm. Me too. It was intentional.
1: Yeah. I I'd get blotted for a while and at least friggin'. I didn't think about all the stuff that was weighing me down for a while. But the problem was, and I, that's why I asked the question, when I'd sober up, I'd be sober. I'd be in a different state, but the issues were still what the issues were.
0: Yeah. Sometimes the, even worse.
1: Yeah. And then, so then I'd you just have to reapply the bandage of alcohol. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm not uh, saying alcohol is bad, but just for me, I knew that I used it as an escape just uh and I've heard people say, I just want to get away from everything. It's like, yeah, but that doesn't really take you away from it. Just numbs it for a little bit, but it comes back.
0: Yeah. And when it comes back, sometimes it comes back worse. You might hear the word anxiety, like a hangover anxiety. It's totally like a, a, a real thing. When it comes back, it's like you wake up in the cold light of the morning and you're like, Oh geez, not only is it back, but it's worse.
1: You mentioned challenging people say, Hey, if you're dealing with some of what you're dealing with, try not drinking for 30 days and see what happens. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. The idea of just testing yourself, Yeah, you know, say from having loved ones in recovery. And if you can't do that, for 30 days you may want to think about your drinking issues
0: <laughs> Yeah, if, if yeah. you
1: literally can't do it for 30 days
0: well, is that, if, if 30 days seems impossible or if even a couple of you know a week if that seems impossible then it's definitely like you, there are a whole lot of great people to talk to email me brett.hammond1 at gmail.com find an AA group there's a whole lot of people out there who are struggling with the exact same thing and would love to help you And that's part of the big part of it, is you're not alone in this. There are other people who are with you in this. And that can get you through it. We all experience anxiety at some level, and it manifests itself differently in everyone. It's easy to feel like you're alone in your anxiety. It has a way of making you feel that way. You're not alone, you've got people cheering you onward, and you've got this. This podcast is recorded and produced by me, Brett Hammond, at www.bhammon.com.